Welcome to episode nine, guys. Thanks. This episode, we talked to Olivia Mainyard from the psychology department. Psychological science? I don't know. It changes names a lot. Um, I'm not being biased, but this was my all-time favourite interview. She was lovely. And she made me this delicious pot of green tea. And she's in this upstairs office. And it was this hot, sunny summer's day. And we had the window open with a cold breeze blowing in. And there were seagulls. And yeah, it was idyllic. We talk about her PhD, um, why she kind of got into psychology, all the cool, fun conferences and all the awesome research she does. Um, We discuss vaping and what's the deal with CBD oil. And we also discuss some more psychological areas such as the replication crisis and open science. And we also have a little chat about her secret passion for foraying for mushrooms. Um, She's going to hate that I intrude it with that. But anyway, have a listen, enjoy. Let me know what you think on LWYD underscore UOB on Twitter. And yeah, thanks for listening. Um, so I'm Olivia Maynard, I'm a lecturer in psychology, um, School of Psychological Science. I've been here for a long time, well, I've been here for my entire career actually, so I did my undergraduate degree here in this mm-hmm. department, and then I did my PhD straight away, and then I did five or six years of a postdoc, postdoctoral research, and then started the lectureship. Wow. Um, yeah. That's six years, is that longer than normal? So, so a um, postdoc. So a postdoc is a, is a kind of a research job. Okay, yeah. So you get paid as a job. Oh, wow. Um, and you're just working on different projects. So I worked on a bunch of different projects in that time and spent the time sort of developing my research portfolio and kind of things I was interested in, building collaborations, getting some teaching experience. So, yeah, I think it's kind of about normal six, okay. seven years yeah, yeah. for a postdoc before yeah. you maybe get a permanent job. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. So, what? Why psychology? What started your interest in mm. that? It's a difficult question. So, I think um, I'd probably be lying if I said that there was a plan. If I yeah. ever had a plan, <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I think I was interested. I did. I did psychology at um, school and was interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't like how it was taught, so I spent a lot of time learning in the library on my own. Didn't go to the, le- the lessons yeah. and just worked it out for myself. I think I probably enjoyed it most of all the things I did at A-level and so well okay I will do that at uni Mm. and I kind of went from there really yeah no real no real particular plan Mm. for why okay but you now specialize in tobacco and alcohol yeah mostly yeah so what what how did you veer down that path yeah again I think for me it's all just what you know chance and yeah yeah. so I was interested I've always been interested in health and health psychology Mm. and how we can promote health um, and actually, I was first of all interested in eating behaviour, mm-hmm. and I actually tried. I tried to apply for a few PhDs um, around disordered eating, mm. and then for various different reasons, didn't get them. Main, the, the most infuriating, infuriating reason was that I didn't put enough postage on the application that I spent oh, weeks no. and weeks on. <laughs> I spent so much time on this application. Oh. I really vividly remember, like I have like a flashbulb memory of posting it. 
Um, and then didn't hear anything back, but that's really rude. Oh, no. Didn't hear anything back. Yeah. And then got like it returned in the post about a month later or two months oh, later. God. So I didn't get that one. But you know what? But then I got this other PhD yeah. that was on standardized packaging of cigarettes yeah. and whether that might be an effective way to encourage smoking cessation yeah. or a way to, I guess, increase attention to warnings. And that kind of came about really fortuitously. And but it was also related to health. So mm-hmm. I went down that route. Nice. And it actually, your research actually kind of contributed to what is now plain tobacco packaging, Yeah, so I think I was pretty lucky with the PhD, actually. So I started it at a time, so I started in 2010, I think. Um, And that was when the UK government was starting to think about potentially introducing it. And my whole PhD sort of followed the political process. So, you know, they were starting to think about it. And then there were some consultations on it during my PhD. And it seemed to really perfectly coincide with when I published papers or had research done. It was was pretty lucky, I think. Yeah. And so my research fed into some of those consultations in the UK and also in Australia where they introduced it first. And sort of gave me a really good grounding in how research can feed into policy and how you, as researchers we can do that mm-hmm. or can't do that yeah, yeah the yeah. case may be yeah yeah oh that's really cool yeah. so what how did you move on to lecturing then so was it just part of the job you kind of yeah so I think what I find yes yeah, so I think maybe not all students realize is that mm. as a lecturer that's my job title yeah I spend a very small portion of my time lecturing <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah and the well and a large part of my time doing research. Right, and those okay. two things also interact, right? So, yeah, yeah. so I teach on a course called um, Drug Use and Addiction mm-hmm. that we do. It's a third year optional unit with Andrew Atwood. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. It's really, <laughs> it's really interesting. I find it so interesting. I struggle to get all of it in in the short amount of you know, lectures yeah, yeah. that we have. Um, but I spend a lot of my time doing research, some of which feeds into the lectures, but mm-hmm. um, sort of around drug use and addiction. But how did I get into lecturing? Yeah, so it's kind of, if you want a permanent job at university, yeah. you have to become a lecturer. Gotcha. Because otherwise you're working on short-term yeah, yeah. contracts, the postdoctoral contracts. Yeah. And I must admit, I was, um, so I'm really into the research. Yeah. And I was, a, but before I started, I was a bit worried about yeah. the effect that the lecturing would have on my research, whether mm-hmm. I had enough time for it, and whether I'd hate it. I thought yeah. I might hate it. Turns out I didn't hate it. I really, really loved doing the lecturing, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I've learned a lot about my subject area as well because you have to read much, much wider than you would otherwise. Because, you know, in research, you, you focus down, you focus down, you focus down, and you kind of forget the broader perspectives. Yeah, and yeah. so doing this course on drug use and addiction, we've really gone quite broad and, and yeah, done so much reading. And so that's been really good. I've also really enjoyed the actual active lecturing yeah, yeah. Um, as well and like working with the students. So, yeah, it's been, it's been enlightening about what I actually do, do and don't like doing. Nice. So that's been good. Okay, so what is your average day like? What? So you said very small proportion of it is lecturing. So what do you actually? Do? Yeah, it's a difficult question that because no, and the reason I like the job is that it's so varied, mm-hmm. so so varied, which on some days is good, on some days you just need to like it, there's so much going on and it's yeah, stressful. Yeah. But I guess a typical day, some of the things I might be doing. I don't know, working on a paper, like working on writing, so research stuff, I'll be writing papers, mm-hmm. um, talking to collaborators, having conference calls about papers, talking about analyses for those papers. Mm-hmm. Or it might be, at the moment, it's over summer, I'm doing a lot of protocol writing. So before okay. we start testing for a study, we write a gigantic study protocol, which outlines mm-hmm. exactly what we're going to do yeah, yeah. Um, with 
you know, the, the project. Mm. And so at the moment I'm writing four or five different study protocols. Oh they're all kind of at different stages and a couple of them or a few of them are with different students. So the student will come and have conversations and then we'll yeah. work on it collaboratively. So I do a lot of doing a lot of that at the moment. And I really that's the sort of study design stuff is what I really mm. like doing. I'm kind of okay, we've got this question. Mm. And it's always funny because the student goes, I've got this question. I'm like, that's a good question, okay. And then, then we start thinking, well, how are we going to test this question? Yeah, yeah. And it turns out so much more complicated than ever you think. And I, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I think yeah. sometimes the student's like, oh, oh, this is, <laughs> I thought this much. was going to be easy. And like, it's never easy, but it's always, I think it's always fun, to be, like developing yeah. that. So, that, yes, a lot of developing projects and thinking about new ideas. Um, and then what else would I mean? So in terms of like my teaching stuff, mm-hmm. so a lot of my teaching is supervision of projects that's kind of what I've talked about but then you know earlier today I was um just going back to my lectures that I gave last year and looking at some of how I might change those mm. this year what new literature I might be adding to them so kind of reading a few papers putting okay. those in and then I don't know like so many things so I guess the other thing I do is kind of I'm related to those two things is I'm kind of sit on the different panels and boards and committees for okay. like so, so I did sit on a few drugs panels and like drug delivery treatment panels in Bristol, okay, which are interesting. Yeah. And then the last conference call I had was yesterday. Um, so I go to a conference a lot called um, the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm on a small group there where we're trying to work out how and whether we're going to allow the tobacco industry and the e-cigarette industry and the mm. pharmaceutical industry access to the conference. Uh-huh. So, and I can, I know that's a whole separate thing. But like, you know, so having these kind of like strategy meetings about conferences or about mm. you know, treatments for drugs in, in our community. And I think, so I'm going on a bit. Basically, I do lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it's all but, super interesting. Yeah, no. And um, I think that kind of what I'm kind of mean from that last bit is that, you know, we do research in a particular area and I guess we have some knowledge around that. Mm. And it's important, I think it's important that researchers do sort of do public facing stuff. And do work with organisations mm-hmm. um, who are trying to do stuff on, you know, in real in the real world. So that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm on a transform yeah. a drugs organisation in Bristol, oh. um, whose goal is to essentially work towards legalisation of all drugs. Oh, cool. And so we yeah, recently had a meeting with them and looking at how you know, our research and researchers across the university mm. who are doing research on drugs can feed into that work that they're doing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so lots of really cool stuff. So wow, basically, yeah. I get to meet with really interesting people, whether that's students or people that work in practice or policy, and yeah, yeah, I enjoy it. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> um, so what was your favourite thing about it? Like, about psychology as a whole or about your specific area? Like, I don't mind. But... Yeah, right. Um, I think, so I guess maybe... My job, I like the fact that it's so varied and mm-hmm. I get to you know, have interesting conversations and meet interesting people and do fun things. That's good. I also, I think the thing about like research that I like is that, particularly psychology research maybe, is that you can just be walking down the street and you can see something and you think, oh, hang on, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, oh, hang on, maybe I should have a conversation with someone about that and see if we can come up with a project to understand that a bit better. I don't know, like... Just like, and they come up with silly ideas for not silly but like novel ideas for projects. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So my pet project. I mean, I always have like a thing I'm super stoked about. Yeah. But the moment thing I'm excited about is oh, they're over on my desk. But these little plastic things that I used one years ago for a project that people hmm. had to smoke through. Okay. For a completely unrelated reason. At the end of the study, all the participants were like, "Oh my gosh, these transparent things go really black and because of the tar that comes yeah, from a cigarette." Yeah. 
and they're like, that was so disgusting, it made me want to quit smoking. I was like, oh, interesting. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's that like, oh, that's an interesting thing. Um, and so, and I've kind of just remembered that, yeah, at least yeah. like the last like, couple of days. I've just been giving out anyone that I know who smokes these yeah, little yeah. plastic things, saying, can you just like try this? See if you can smoke a cigarette through it. See what you think. Is it a really terrible idea? Do you think, does it go, does it actually go back for you? Yeah, what do you yeah. think about it? And then, yeah, that's like some initial piloting and maybe that will be a new project yeah. that I do. So essentially, always coming up with new ideas. That's Probably really too cool. many, always too many ideas. That's an awesome thing. If yeah. you're that excited, it's yeah. not like you're sitting around being like, oh, what should I do now? Yeah. There's never that problem. <laughs> There's never that problem. Really cool. I read as well about, you did a study right about pint glasses and the shape of Yeah, pint yeah, that's another thing that was actually, so we, you know, in psychology, we, we go to the pub on a Friday after yeah. work and we're sitting there and so actually some people, yeah, some colleagues were sitting there and they're like, well, this, like, you know, some glasses are really straight and some glasses are curved. I wonder if that... And there was, like, a vision scientist yeah. and a tobacco researcher, an alcohol researcher. Like, I wonder if you drink differently from these different glasses. Yeah, yeah, And so that was an observation that was made in the real world that we then brought into the lab. Yeah. And then also into pubs as well. Changed their glasses and saw whether people drank faster from curved glasses, which they did. Yeah, yeah. And then straight glasses, yeah. So... So, God, those pub, little pub meetings on a Friday must be so interesting, though. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, that's a... I'm probably going off on a tangent here. Sorry. But, yes, they are. Yeah. They're, you know, it's really nice to have that time with your colleagues that's not... You know, I think it's really important that we have time with our colleagues just to chat. And so I'm a big advocate for coffee every day. Yeah. You'll often see me having tea or coffee. Not because I'm not working, because I'm having ideas. Yeah, I'm having yeah. conversations. Um, and I think that's really important that you have that. One thing I'd say about going to the pub, obviously not a lot of people, not everyone can do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, particularly people that have kids or have caring responsibilities. So I think that's why, and yeah, we have to make sure that we have that time in yeah. work hours and it's seen as like a part of work. That's really nice. Yeah. So that's it's like I'm... collaboration. Right? Yeah. We did a study, um, or I looked at the arrangement of schools mm. and it was, I think it was Yale. The study I'm trying to think of here is actually not Yale, it's Yusu campus in Paris. Um, it doesn't state what the departments were, but they were three to five more times likely to collaborate with their new neighbours rather than their old ones. And they produced better work because of it, which was measured by the amount of citations the papers then received, which is pretty cool. And they were, they were doing some work on another building, and so they moved like one department into another department, and they never normally work next to each other mm. but it turned out all these cool collaborations that's so cool were coming from those departments because i think it was something like chemistry and i don't know uh physics or something and they just walked past each other and they'd like input on each other's work and so then all these cool ideas were coming out of it compared to when they were just working in their own little in schools the silos yeah, yeah. I think you can't necessarily measure that or predict what it's going to look like yeah but if you allow if you open up the space for people to have conversations and that those conversations will happen yeah um, and they won't necessarily happen every every half an hour you spend having coffee no. but it'll happen some of those times or so I think yeah, it's really important. That's really cool. Oh, I love that you guys do that. Yeah, we need to do more. We do we do do it, but we need to do more of it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So okay, going from favourite then, what is your worst thing about it? Worst thing about psychology on my job. I am an optimist. I find I do find I don't really think about negative things, and that's probably that's fine. Um, but I, what's my worst thing about it? I do. I think that. Well, with a lot of jobs, so this is my thing about my job, I think, rather yeah. than psychology, is that if you are passionate about something, you will take it home with you. Yeah. 
um, whether that's like emotionally mm. or in real life you'll be working yeah <laughs> late at night on yeah, it. Yeah. and I really try not to do that I do quite a lot of stuff outside of work to stop me from doing that yeah but I think that's the one thing is that it can take over mm. um not necessarily always in a good way yeah if yeah. you yeah and there's, there's just always more and I, I think I mean I know a lot of colleagues do get very stressed mm. and I think that's because there's always more things to do yeah. and if you care particularly if you care about the students yeah. then you're you know I've got to deal with the student request now I've got to do this and I think for me having boundaries so I'll say to the students like, I'm not going to reply to emails over the weekend yeah. I'm not going to reply to emails after five yeah. um, in fact I won't be replying to emails put it on blackboard so everyone can mm. see it like having those I think people do respect that but that protects you and also protects them yeah. I think because yeah, yeah. you do care but you also want to make it fair and you want to make sure you have mm. the capacity to help people yeah, yeah. You know, rather than just stretching yourself so thin I, th- I think some of some people do that yeah I think yeah like you're saying it must be super difficult though because if you love it you want to do it all the time mm-hmm. right but yeah it's good it's self-discipline yeah. to be able to cut yeah. yourself off so what stuff do you do outside then? You told me about mushrooms, <laughs> but that wasn't on, on recording. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so people that had to do my um, my drugs and addiction course probably find out that I like I'm into mushrooms because I <laughs> put some mushroom uh, in there. So I have a lecture on psychedelics yeah, yeah. and use of psilocybin, the magic mushroom for treating a mental illness. I yeah. go on about that for a little bit. I was there's also some cool mushrooms that like there's one called. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this. <laughs> I'm excited now. There's one called um, Tipler's Bane. That's the common name. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you eat that mushroom without drinking, like you'll be fine. You can oh. eat it. If you have it, if you eat it before or after having anything to drink, you'll get immediate sort of toxicity oh, and wow. sort of like really bad hangover symptoms. You'll be vomiting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's some really interesting psychopharmacology going on there. And it's, it's, it's the same drug that's in desulfiram, I think that's how you say it, which is a drug, or um, antabuse. Oh, okay, yeah. Maybe, so antabuse, definitely, desulfiram. And antabuse is used by people who have alcohol dependency issues. Mm. They take it to basically stop them from drinking because it has right. this horrible negative effect. Oh, okay, and yeah, so yeah the, like aversion the, therapy. Yeah, exactly. Of. So the mushrooms are the same thing. So yeah, I'm into mushrooms. I'm an, uh, I go out with some like, like 17, 80 year olds <laughs> during autumn. <laughs> I'm looking for mushrooms. <laughs> I bring down the average age by quite a long way. I just think they're really beautiful. And it gets, I think what I like about it is that I'm probably quite a hectic person. Mm. And um, I like... You're like, yeah, no, you are. And no, no, <laughs> no. I just like, I, I think I can agree. No, I'm like, hectic, I'm yeah. the same. Yeah. No, you're not doing it. So quite a hectic person. So I find that doing something slow, like mm. looking for tiny things in a forest, is a really nice way to spend your time yeah. and trying to relax you. Oh my gosh, don't you just love her? Oh. Yeah, I imagine it's very mindful. It's very, it's very mindful. But also, I guess I like the scientific part of it as well. I like try yeah. to identify what they are and like some of the really interesting pharmacology mm. and. So, do you like forage as well? So do you like to oh, some Yes, so actually, in the mycology world, foraging is kind of looked down on. Um, oh. There's like foraying and there's foraging. So oh. foraying is looking scientifically, mm-hmm. and then there's foraging, which is yeah, hunting for edible ones. And so if you, you know, it's quite if you go on a mycology foray yeah. and you ask if something's edible. Oh no! You better watch that. I'll get kicked out. Okay, yeah, so I do, I do like a little bit, not with my mycology friends. I was going to say, do you do it sneakily yeah. when no one's looking? Exactly. Quickly, just pick, pick some in my basket. Yeah. 
<laughs> but do you like mushrooms? Because you know, like, you yeah, might no, like I to do. look at it, but you hate the taste. No, but... I had some mushrooms this morning. That's yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> so, are there any common myths or misconceptions concerning psychology or your own study that you kind of want to put to rest and be like, no, guys, this isn't true? Yeah, okay. Um, so, I do research on tobacco and alcohol, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for tobacco, so what I found the last sort of five years is if I say I do research on tobacco and alcohol, yeah invariably people will say, but what about e-cigarettes? Right, okay. Um, that's the big one, yeah. I think, at the moment, that has some serious myths around it. And actually, I'm doing a study at the moment looking at the misconceptions that are in the media and how that might influence people's attitudes towards them and whether we can try and change people's attitudes towards e-cigarettes by presenting some other information yeah. um, to them, which is a cool project that I'm excited about. But yeah, basically, what I say to people, because people basically go, okay, well, my boyfriend's just bought a vape pen and he's like, using it all the time. Is this bad? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, what I would say is, if he's a smoker, yeah. just crack on. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, we know, we think that they're at least... 95% less harmful okay. than cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we also because the standard is, you know, extremely harmful. Tobacco, in its like combustible yeah, yeah. form, in a cigarette is one the most harmful consumer product there is. Wow, you know, it kills two thirds <laughs> of its users at least yeah. ten years early. Like it's ridiculously terrible product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I should say, yeah, I'm not anti-smoker in any way, yeah, shape, yeah. or form. I'm anti-tobacco. I'm anti, yeah. you know. So we've got this product, e-cigarettes, that do seem to help people to quit smoking, mm. um, do reduce the harm from tobacco mm. um, considerably, and still provide nicotine. So there's there's tobacco, which you know, the the chemical, the, the drug people are interested in is nicotine, yeah, and, yeah. and e-cigarettes provide that. We think relatively safely um, without all the extra harmful stuff that's in um, a combustible cigarette. There's a lot of concern around uptake among youth um, and whether that's acting as a gateway. And so we just published a paper with some colleagues in Cardiff uh, where we looked at the trend in youth smoking after, before and after vaping became a big thing. And we found like there was no effect of vaping. So we don't, basically what we don't find is that suddenly we see an increase in youth smoking because of vaping. We don't yeah. see that. We just see this continual tr- downward trend in youth smoking, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. And in the UK, there's tiny proportion, relatively tiny proportion of young people vaping. Mm. Um, and the people that are vaping are also the ones that would smoke anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's really hard to tease that apart, right? Yeah. Um, but most young people maybe have, maybe have tried yeah. an e-cigarette, but aren't interested in going in with it. We did yeah. some, um, I did some qualitative interviews with some young people in some schools two years in a row, a couple of years ago, mm. and they were like, oh, vaping's just so not cool. Yeah. <laughs> God, I get, you know. And we're like, oh, okay, cool, that's what I thought. But, yeah, Because yeah. you know, a lot of my, my colleagues will be like, oh, my, oh, yeah, these are so cool, and all the kids love them, and all the yeah, flavors, yeah. and when we talk to them, they're like, oh, no, no. They're not cool. Not cool. I mean, smoking's still cool. Oh yeah. no! Smoking. So sm- I think I, I think that smoking is still cool, um, although it, and it's still the, the inverted commas cool kids that are smoking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a greater appreciation among other young people that that that's probably a bad. They know it's a bad lifestyle choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they don't probably want to be doing it themselves. Yeah. But it's still. I mean, all the cool kids smoke. All the cool kids still smoke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is funny though how it has. Because I know people who smoke who are like, oh, I'm not going to go to vape. I'm not that yeah. person. Yeah. And you're like... Bleh. And you know, that's, that's another interesting study I really want to run, right? Mm. So 
in the UK, we've really, like, pu- we, public health, mm. have done a really big job about making vaping not cool. Yeah. You know, so we're, you know, so Public Health England, uh, Department of Health, put out these campaigns, mm. and they're about helping smokers to quit smoking. Yeah. And they have pictures of older people who look really tired and haggard, yeah, they've got their yeah. vape, and they're like, it's, it's not something you want to do as a young <laughs> person, is it? Yeah. Um, and and that, cause that's really what it's about, it's about helping people to quit smoking, yeah, yeah. and it really helps in that way. But in America, you know, the public health organisations are going, look at this vape pen, can you believe it? It looks like a children's toy. Yeah, Guys, yeah. you got to watch out for this. And, like, there's, the, the stuff is mad. Like, if you look at it, you, it, oh, it's mad what some of the stuff that's, that the public health people in America are doing. Really? Like, I can't even, like, if I explain it or just see, yeah. like, there was one the other day I saw that they've got, like, I don't know what, they can't have consulted any young people at all. Oh no! And it was like this weird, like thirty-second advert with some like heavy, like terrible heavy rock <laughs> stuff, <laughs> and like background scenes of like stars and planets, and this like person in this outfit making like a rap, like a heavy rock rap, which didn't even work, about how bad vaping is and how uncool it is. Oh, and like, God. They're like, it seems like they're appealing to young. I mean, it's obviously terrible, but like, yeah, yeah. And they kind of. By telling young people that these products are really appealing to young people, yeah, they make them appealing to young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and they do a bit. Of, they do a bigger problem in the states about young people using you know, vaping, yeah. um, and they're all really concerned about it. Um, so I kind of want to do a study looking at the effect mm. of these, like inverted commas, anti-vaping messaging yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's being put out by America, and the effect that that might have on attitudes towards it yeah and I think I really think it would make people want to vape or yeah. at least think it was like appealing to young people whereas our anti-vaping campaign or well, vaping messaging is around yeah yeah helping people to quit that was a long answer no 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 I, like, that makes sense I'm just, I just feel quite passionately there's like a lot of drama and di- division in the public health community around e-cigarettes yeah and there's like there's not much nuance and it is tricky there is, you know, depending on what perspective you look at it from, um, but I think it's just been fascinating looking at how people have taken one of two sides. Mm. I'm, ob- I'm obviously from the sort of harm reduction. Yeah. Drugs, drug general, dr- drugs harm reduction, which is people are going to take drugs. Yeah. Um, either because they're unwilling or unable to stop. Yeah, yeah. And so how can we make that? Easier. easier or yeah. how can we reduce the harm associated with yeah, that yeah. so with if someone wants to use nicotine well, how can we give that to them in the least harmful way that's the really yeah, yeah yeah that is the point because abstinence isn't gonna stop it. if anything it encourages yeah, it right, right. that's more like prohibition exactly us. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- yeah abstinence and criminalization doesn't yeah. work it increases harm yeah yeah um, yeah, so what can we do about that? So I've got a PhD student that's doing some stuff on, stuff on opioid substitution therapy oh, wow. um, as well. Yeah, so like lots of you know, really interest in reducing harm, mm. basically. Um, I'm going to ask you, though. I can cut this out if it's fine, <laughs> but um, CBD oil, what is your view on that's that? That's so funny. I was just having a conversation down the corridor <laughs> with Angela Atwood about CBD. She was like, we need to do research on CBD. Yeah, I was going to um, say, because it feels like one of those things that... They're like has become trendy. It's so trendy, but hasn't had necessarily a lot of research to back yeah. it up. Yeah, because yeah. they do like CBD coffee and stuff now. Yeah, right? like, so there's yeah. a shop down the road, um, Mary James, that does. Okay. Um, just just opened. Yeah. That sells CBD coffee. Ah. And they sell it. I think it's ten or maybe it's twenty milligrams. Um, you can get your fact checker on this. Um. <laughs> According to their website, MaryJanes.co.uk, it's ten milligrams of coffee. 
So in some of the studies they use CBD for, yeah. you know, you have to have at least, given at least 200. Oh, right. So it's like, it's like a, it's like a homeopathic level of CBD. Yeah, like the but, tiniest. But um, it's very trendy and there isn't a lot of research on it. Yeah. But I think there's some potential. So, so actually, so Angela had just been to a conference, British mm. Association of Psychopharmacology this week, okay. where some people um, in Bath, Tom Freeman, are doing some research on CBD for treating alcoholism i think um i don't know i don't i don't know the ins and outs of it actually i haven't looked into it but um there's definitely some interesting things there i think it's massively generally cbd at the moment seems to be massively hyped up yeah Um, yeah but i'm interested to find out more that's cool okay that was a nice answer (laughs) i was expecting it to be like oh i don't know there's not enough research or i'm not good like it's but that's exciting like there's not a lot of research so i'm excited yeah yeah and like when it starts becoming anecdotal you do want to know, like, yeah. like so many people are saying it yeah. works, so I now want to find the science yeah. behind it. We, actually, we actually just did a um, focus group in Mary Jane's, which oh, I thought no would be hilarious. So we, um, we're doing a project on cannabis among uh, young people mm-hmm. um, and looking at, so that obviously in Canada and the US there's been changes to legislation yeah. around cannabis. And um, we're interested in the effect that that might have. So and now, like, there's massive marketing. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, 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 for cannabis products in those countries. And obviously, that doesn't just stay in America and Canada. No. It comes via social media to yeah. here. So we're interested in the effect that any of that marketing might be having on young people yeah. um, via social media. Oh. And so we're kind of at, and we work. It's a really cool project actually. We're working with some artists and like creative play experts, okay. which is very cool. And so, and to develop some sort of like public engagement event or activity slash data collection tool yeah. um, to do some research on this. Yeah, we ran the focus group in the inverted commas cannabis cafe because we just thought that'd be fun. <laughs> that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone so off topic. We have. But that's that's fine. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so, um, what direction do you see psychology and your kind of research taking? So we talked about like legalizing, but. Mm. What else do you, what do you see happening in the future then? So I think so more broader for mm. psychology, maybe like a couple of broad things. So first of all, so my research has always been very applied. Mm. Um, you know, thinking about like the policy, what's the policy problem and trying to answer that from a sort yeah, of a psychological yeah. perspective. But a lot of the work that we do in psychology isn't very yeah. applied, you know, like basic vision science or language or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that... And that definitely has a place and it's really important that we understand that sort of basic yeah, yeah. building blocks of psychology. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is that, so one of the things that I have to do a lot of, I didn't mention this, but another thing I have to do a lot of my time, so a lot of time I'm doing is applying for grants right. to do research. And so yeah. I spend a lot of time coming up with ideas, writing these terrible, terribly long grant applications <laughs> that invariably don't get funded. But the way you're a bit more likely to get funding is if you have an applied lens. So what's the... Gotcha. What's the Another time when I use the air bubble, air quotes. Um, <laughs> what's the impact of this research going to be? Yeah, yeah. So there's like a big focus on impact. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing really basic vision science, it's harder to say what that is. So a yeah. lot of those people are trying to think, well, how can I bring that into the real world? Yeah, yeah. So I think what we're seeing is a lot more of that um, because of the funding mechanisms. Yeah. And I mean, I do that anyway. That's kind of where, where I sit. Yeah. So it works for me, but I think I don't know how other people perhaps feel about that. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I think that we're seeing is the whole open science so there's in the last sort of i guess five ten ish years yeah. there's been big 
shift in understanding or awareness that um, a lot of the studies that we maybe have relied on or mm. thought, you know, think are really big studies in the field don't replicate. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a sort of, you know, reproducibility crisis. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots and lots of reasons for that. But one of them is the fact that a lot of the research we have done isn't mm. open and accessible. Good to hear. Um, so, so what we do now, so I kind of talked about study protocols yeah. earlier, and one of the reasons we do that is to make our research really open. Mm -hmm. So we say, right from the beginning, this is exactly what we plan to do. Yeah, These yeah. are our uh, independent variables. These are our dependent variables. These are the analyses we're going to run. This is how many participants we're going to test. Mm -hmm. And then we go on and we actually, and we publish that online yeah, before yeah. we start. So you can go and see all the studies that we plan to do. And then when you actually get the data, you just do what you said in your plan. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't mess around with it. You don't go, yeah. oh, um, I'm just going to test some more people because I didn't get what I thought. Oh, I might yeah. just run some different analyses. And I don't think, you know, people don't, some people do, most people don't change their analysis plans because yeah. they want to change the data or, yeah, yeah. you know, manipulate the data. They do it because they're just human and they think, oh, yeah. hang on, that is an interesting question. Maybe I'll do it in this way. Yeah, yeah. So open open science and open like those protocols don't stop you from making changes to your to your analysis plan but yeah. it just makes you realize oh that isn't what i said i was going to do in the first yeah, place yeah. so anyway so that comes kind of one part of open science and then making your data open as well so people can mm. access it making papers um open access mm. as well so people can, anyone can read them a lot of focus on what good research practices are loads and loads and loads of cool stuff's going on yeah yeah um and some people in the department work, you know, Marcus Manafo does loads of work on mm. that as well. So that there's this big push to like yeah. changing the whole way we do science, which I think yeah. is really exciting. And some people I think is a bit terrifying because yeah. it goes against how they've done everything for their entire careers. Of course. Um, but that's exciting. That makes sense, right? Because I, I know I've been super frustrated as well just doing research for assignments where mm. you try and access something and you can't but you have to pay like $40 yeah. to read a paper. Yeah. And it's like, why do I... Never do that. Never pay. No, don't because worry, you can either, I don't. you can either find someone at a different university who has access or yeah. you can like use the ICANN has PDF hashtag on Twitter. Oh. And um, technically you shouldn't do it. So that's... <laughs> but it's a thing. So you write that and then ask for the paper and then someone will send it to you. Yeah. And then you just delete the tweet immediately. Awesome. Yeah, do that's that very often. handy. Yeah, because I mean, because the researchers don't get any of that money, right? It's no, just it the, the publishers. Yeah. yeah. Which seems yeah. Mad. So there's a big move towards open access publishing, yeah, yeah. Um, and the university have funding, generally for open access funding um, and yeah. publishing. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to move on to innovation and entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, what does innovation and entrepreneurship mean to you? So what are your definitions? Mm. Gosh, I don't have a definition. I suppose, in practical sense, innovation, like research, I could feel like the research I do has to be innovative. Mm -hmm. it is, like That's what research is. Yeah, yeah. So coming up with a research question, I find, you know, reading literature and finding what, what's, in, what's innovative, what's new, what hasn't been done before. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of, we talked about this, but then thinking, well, how can I design an experiment to test that question? Yeah. And you have to be innovative with that. You have to, I don't know if my definition of innovative is right, but you know, thinking about how how we can address that problem and mm -hmm. there's so many different things to think about and um, that's you know i love doing that yeah, um, yeah. And that, to me feels like a very innovative pro project yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure so actually i'm, I'm working with some um some students that are on the psychology of innovation project um masters of them oh, it yeah, is a master's yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah master at the moment so they're in their they just finished their third year they did my drug use addiction course yeah and um 
they're interested in the effect of MDMA or ecstasy on um, mood and cognition. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. you know, we know that, you know, we know about alcohol hangover, yeah. you know, much less scientifically about that sort of come down oh, experience you get. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we're going to be doing some research on, so they, say, they came to me saying, you know, we want to do some research on this. Yeah. And I go, cool, sounds like a great question. Now let's spend months working out how we're going to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, we really had to spend a lot of time thinking about what the best methodology is for doing this research. So I think now, which we, Oh. Are you all right? I'm going to just tell them to... Sorry, phone call. <laughs> um, I think I was saying, yeah, so, um, yeah, we can't give people MDMA, not yeah. at this point anyway. No. Um, so how else can we do it? Well, yeah, people go out and use MDMA yeah. in their free time. So we're going to go down, basically, to Soats Croft. This is the plan. Right. Yeah, yeah. And recruit people who are going out on nights out. Yeah. And then follow, and then basically getting them to sign up and then following up for six six days afterwards okay. and send them text messages to get them to complete some mood questionnaires and depression oh, yeah, cool. like, um, questionnaires on depressive symptoms yeah, yeah. with a view to perhaps doing some more research down the line looking yeah. at sort of more cognitive tasks as well oh, but it's okay. felt like a very innovative project with my innovation students yeah, yeah. we've really had to go well there's no there's no standard for this yeah um, we've not done this before and very few other people have done anything like it before yeah. how are we going to do it yeah oh wow yeah. that's very cool I was gonna. I, this is gonna go on a massive tangent again. <laughs> but the legalities of doing that, because MDMA is yeah. illegal. But so, if you know, do you have an obligation to? Yeah, guess, good question. So, you have to submit ethics yeah, for yeah. any project you do. Yeah. And um, I've been having some issues with the ethics. Yeah. Getting the ethics for it. Of course. Because there's concerns around. So you know, if you're collecting data from people, that is. Um, perhaps puts them in a vulnerable position yeah. um, or exposes them you know, to some illegal activity, then you have to get more strict ethics. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. Yes. Um, so no, we don't have to, like, so all data we collect is confidential and anonymous, yeah, yeah. so we won't be course, reporting yeah. anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the concern, right, that people might have that concern that that would be how we'd be using the data. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's about making that really, how do you make that really clear to people who are potentially intoxicated yeah, yeah. and it's like midnight yeah, yeah, um, yeah. on a Friday night, how do you tell those people this is what this research is about? Yeah, yeah. So trying to work through that whole process yeah, um, yeah. was difficult. But now we're not going to be recruiting people based on drug use. We're recruiting people who are going out mm. to like a club or to a house party or yeah. a festival, anyone, mm. and then sifting through those people. Gotcha, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And saying, well, these are the people that use MDMA. The, I mean, there's loads of issues with this, right? Because also, if you're using MDMA, you're probably also smoking cannabis and you probably yeah. might do you have you probably at least going to drink yeah, yeah. Um, you, there's loads of other things you might do yeah of course. and there's also the other behaviors so you're not going to go to bed till pretty late yeah um, yeah or early depending on your definition yeah, yeah um there's loads of other things you're going to do that will affect your mood yeah and so trying to tease that all apart is really difficult and that's what field research is it's an observational field study yeah, yeah. with a view to scaling it up making it more precise yeah, in the yeah. future so I'm excited about it, but it's the first step. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, you can't have someone and just do like a very controlled study and be no. like, you can go to this party, but... Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. that's the thing. So I, I, for me, it's not so much about the drug MDMA. It's yeah. about the drug experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, what does taking MDMA and everything else that comes along with that, so yeah. staying out really late, for example, have on your mood? Six days later. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, cool. So that's kind of. I'm, so I am kind of interested in the, in the messy complexity yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. Mm. I like it. Okay. Um, entrepreneurship, though. Yeah. What your definition of oh, that? I don't know. Uh, entrepreneurship. 
What was your definition of entrepreneurship? Oh, oh, <laughs> Sorry, well, no, no, it's fine. Um, oh, I've had some really interesting ones. And the other day, someone said about kind of using, coming up with an idea to gain like a reward for it. So it's mm. usually money. So you usually come up with an idea and then you use that to create some income, mm. some, some money from it. But then it could be that you come up with an idea and you use it to create, I don't know, fame or you use it to create knowledge, you know, like an, a good way of using a skill that means that your students learn more. Um, mm. But normally, I guess my own definition, I would always think of it as someone who's kind of like started their own business yeah. and has then made money from that, like yeah. has come up with something that no one else has done, gone and started a business from it and made money, yeah. um, which is where I think it ties in with innovation. But um, yeah, but no, it it's not something I've, I, I, I've thought a lot about, I suppose, yeah, yeah. because I'm not really interested in making money yeah, um, yeah. beyond <laughs> you know having a job. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think I think it's what that's interesting about entrepreneurship. Doesn't necessarily just have to be about making money. Yeah, it can yeah. be about producing something that's otherwise of value yeah. to people, and whether that's delivering really excellent lectures. Because I don't know how that's different from innovation, though. Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. I guess if you maybe created a like a you know like a tool like a tool or a platform yeah. that, that enhances learning yeah like or like a theory that you then become mm. known for but yeah yeah so that's good but then how do you think these apply to psychology how would you oh well, I guess we've kind of covered yeah that, so the innovation and using yeah, innovation yeah, for to research design I think is is key is the key yeah. thing uh, so how do you stay up to date with things though how do you come yeah. up with new ideas and... so um. Summer is conference season, yeah. so one of the big perks of an academic job is that you get, well, not everyone necessarily, but you get to go to conferences, yeah, yeah. which maybe, I don't know if they're more fun than they sound, um, or <laughs> less fun than they sound, I don't know. I enjoy conferences. So you know, this year I've been to Club Health, which I mentioned in Amsterdam, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm going to Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco mm -hmm. in Oslo, and I'm going to European Health Psychology Society conference in Dubrovnik. Oh wow! Yeah, because it's, it's a good year actually for conferences, and I've been to San Francisco for another tobacco conference earlier in the year. So then, yeah, really fortunate. My air miles, and I do really consider my air miles, and that's that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My environmental concerns. Um, Anyway, so my point is, go to the conferences, meet people, have conversations. Yeah. So partly going to listen to talks, but partly just meeting people, having yeah. conversations, getting away from my desk yeah. and, you know, having a bit of perspective. Conferences are the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, reading papers. I don't get enough time for reading papers. Yeah. There's so much out there and I'm yeah. interested in so many different things that it's impossible to keep up with it all. So I use Twitter mm -hmm. a fair bit for just, I mean, that's like a... It's not a systematic way. I don't yeah, yeah. recommend it generally. Um, I don't spend too much time on it, but you know, sometimes things pop up. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have found out about it otherwise. Um, and then, yeah, just having networks of people, and someone say, oh, that's a, you might be interested in this paper, and send it over to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, get email alerts about from particular journals I'm really interested in. Yeah, um, yeah lots of ways. But I don't. I always feel like I'm not up to date enough, up to date. Yeah, but actually, yeah. one thing I found, like I kind of mentioned it, with the developing the lectures, yeah. is that. I've had to do loads more reading, and that's been oh, really yeah, good yeah. Um, for keeping me um, sort of. Because you can, you, as I say, you can get really narrowly focused on something, and you think you know everything, all the most recent papers in this tiny, tiny area. Yeah, yeah. Um, but sort of having the broader understanding has been recently has been really good. Oh, 
that's really cool. Yeah. So lots of things. Are there any people on Twitter you'd recommend following for like cool things? Or it really depends. I mean, it depends on what you're interested in, gotcha. right? Yeah. Um, no, I. I mostly follow colleagues actually. Okay, yeah. Um, so, but I so I mostly follow individuals rather than organisations. Well, I follow both, I suppose. Yeah. But I like to follow like colleagues who I know I'm interested in their research. Yeah. And yeah, see what they're published. Because like, people yeah. often put up what they're publishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if there's any, if there's a specific area of psychology that you're interested in, find yeah. out. You know, look at the. I think it's really nice, like finding you're know, seeing a paper and you see the surname. You don't yeah. even know what gender they are or anything, and then looking them up, finding out yeah. what their Twitter account is, and seeing that they're like also into mushrooms. Probably not. Um, <laughs> no one is. They might be. They're not. Let's be real. Um, or I don't know something else. You know, and then seeing what their research is and seeing yeah. them as a real life human being. I think nice. So actually, yeah, that point about being a real life human being. So I got some feedback from some students from my course last yeah. year, and one of the comments was. I like your lectures because you make me realise that uh, academics are real life humans. I'm like, oh, yep, we <laughs> <Here> are. We, are. <laughs> we all have lives and interests, and oh. you know. But um, yeah, I think it's nice to to see people's paper you're reading as yeah. real life people and checking out what they're yeah. doing on Twitter. So I do have a look. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. I never thought to do that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do that when I get home. Now. <laughs> um, so have you got any, you said you're writing protocols for like five other studies. Yeah. So what, what are your exciting future projects coming up? Oh out? gosh, so I've got on my whiteboard <laughs> some of my projects that I'm... Um... Is that all of them? Yeah, it's terrifying, oh isn't it? Oh my god, yeah. So at this point we both turn to look at her whiteboard and it's tidy, it's very organised, but there are a lot of projects on there. A lot of projects. About 20 projects. Um... <laughs> Yeah, um, what are my projects? I don't know, some of the... So this idea about this Club Health... So I went to the Club Health conference, yeah. and um, I think increasingly I want... So most of my research so far has been around um, behaviour change for people who are dependent, mm -hmm. I would say mostly smokers, yeah, yeah. Um, or have otherwise very problematic behaviours, like drinking behaviours, for example. Yeah. But I'm interested in this idea about Club Health, focusing on perhaps like not necessarily but maybe younger people yeah. um and how we might reduce harm like i can mention a few times so that i so that's kind of where i'm going to be looking with angela atwood developing some more work and yeah, yeah. um, so we're going to be doing some sort of initial studies over the next couple of years well next year probably yeah. and then looking to apply uh, to apply for a grant um, writing a grant to get some funding to sort of a bigger pro program of work around um, understanding what those harms are, how we might minimise those harms through some sort of psychological interventions. Mm. Um, yes, and so we're pretty excited about that, I think, at the moment. That's cool. Yeah, I just keep on coming up with new ideas. <laughs> um, and I need to rein it in a bit and get some of them done, but that's, you know, it's not necessarily a problem. No, no, I'd rather be busy than bored. Yeah, so. <laughs> ne never bored. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that's all my questions. Great. So, is there anything you want to promote? Do you have like websites people should go check out, or should we all follow you on Twitter? Or... <laughs> I mean, I don't post very much, and I don't really <laughs> post very much personal stuff on there. But if you want to, you can follow me on Twitter. I don't even know what it is. That's fine. I will find out and okay. I will edit it on here. Um, but otherwise, yeah, look into mushrooms, getting walking in the forest. You'll never know now. Now, if this goes out, I can't believe I told you. Like, it's actually a really people. secret. It's otherwise a secret-ish hobby because it's like mega nerdy. Right. Yeah. It's not that, no, okay. Um, yeah, but I do. I do think you know. Get make sure people just need to get outside, yeah. look after themselves, take it nice. easy, um, just try and separate themselves from 
the stresses. Yeah, yeah. That's what I try and do. It's wise work. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's been <laughs> lovely. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Oh my God, isn't she just so lovely? It, yeah, can you now see why this is one of my favourite interviews to record? Oh, and she said about her Twitter, it's Olivia Maynard 17 that's all one word, Olivia Maynard 17 um, on Twitter. And also follow us on Twitter at LWID underscore UOB. Let us both know what you thought of the interview. And find us, uh, find me on Facebook at Love What You Do. Just give us a like. I've only just set it up, but... I've only just released episode one on SoundCloud, so you're going to be listening to this 16 weeks in the future. So you might have already found me on Facebook. If you have, thanks. And if this is 16 weeks in the future, um, future Jess, this is past Jess, don't be stressed about exams. You've got this. And that's everyone else. Everyone's got this too. We've all got this. Cool. All right, I'm out of here. Thanks. Bye.